Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together, verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali and I, are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you from America to Africa and everywhere else. God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll put it all together for you. So let's get started. Today we will be studying... The book of Jeremiah, this amazing book of what's happening um, with this amazing young prophet, about 21 years old, and um, telling the nation this uh, powerful message from directly from, the, from God through him. There were no um, contemporary prophets to support him. He was all by himself. He was young, not well connected, and had to go up against everyone from the, uh, the people, the kings, the officials, the priests, and the prophets. He had to give this uh, message uh, of condemnation uh, that the Lord is telling them that they have not repented and that punishment is getting ready to come. And of course, as we've said before, Jeremiah was living at this time. Isaiah had already passed a hundred years earlier. And he is not only going to have to deliver this message, he is going to witness the invasion of the Babylonians into the southern kingdom of Judah. And he's going to see the fall of Jerusalem. And um, he'll be allowed to stay after the majority of the nation of the southern kingdom is going to be taken into captivity to the Babylon, to, with the Babylonians. The northern kingdom has already fallen. The Assyrians have already come in and invaded that kingdom and taken those people off into the, uh, to, uh, to, to Assyria. And so now uh, he is actually living in this time of upheaval where you see the final uh, punishment here. Uh, of this of this nation, but he'll be uh, eventually allowed to to stay uh, with just a few remaining people. They will call them the remnant, and then against his advice, he is um, compelled by the people to go to Egypt to flee into Egypt, and eventually he uh, dies there. Uh, and as McGee says, it's reported that he was stoned by his own people there. He never had a convert. He never had anybody believe his message. Um, he was overwhelmed with grief most of the many of the times because of the devastating nature of the message he had to give. And of course, everybody rejects his message because they couldn't believe that a prophet would be delivering a message against his own people like this. Let's jump in. We're going to put in at chapter three 
uh, verse 10. This is what we read last time, but we're just going to hit this high point again. He is telling them, after all the things that they have done in terms of sin and evil behavior, God is telling them, if you would just return to me, if you would just repent and change your hearts, I could protect you. So verse 10, chapter 3, Yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah, this is the southern kingdom, did not return to me with her whole heart. But in pretense, declares the Lord, just in pretense. So in other words, God is saying, look, I'm calling you to repent. I'm calling you to change your ways. I'm calling you to change your sinful nature. But all Judah did with her her nature, this treacherous nature, is just say, oh, you know, we're, you know, we're sorry. Please forgive us. Thank you. You know, it wasn't the whole heart. It was a half-hearted um, turning. It was half-hearted uh, living, and it, it was just in pretense. And it may, may have an appearance of worship, but not really true worship. Oh, how that irritated God. Oh, how it, it angered him to see half-hearted worship. Pre, just worship in pretense. It's faithlessness, and it's a love of one's idols more than a love of God. It's a love of one's um, sinful nature more than uh, God. And idols could be anything. It could be money, power, prestige. It could be popularity. It could be... Um, Anything that your heart is worshiping, your heart is craving, that's an idol. It could be man-made idols, man-made religions. But so many things take the place of those idols. And as McGee said, was saying last time, idols make no demand on the nature of men who are out of harmony with the desires of their own hearts. Idols make no, no demands. In other words, idols are just created in people's lives, and when you look at somebody's idols, you can see what their heart is. Why? Because people choose idols. People choose to crave what they want to crave, what they they have inside their hearts. That becomes their idol. But idols make no demand on the nature of man. They don't make a demand that the nature of man change. God makes a demand to change your hearts, to change your behaviors, to become holy. That's the nature of God. There are no uh, higher demands on an idol to the hearts of men. Okay, so we got this, um, we get this um, sort of call uh, back in chapter 3, and as we take up in, in chapter 4, Verse 1, if you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me, you should return. If you do return, you should return. Make it true. If you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver. In other words, make it a complete change. I don't want a half-hearted change. If you say you're going to return, then return. And if you swear as the Lord lives in truth, in justice, and in righteousness, when you make your change, when you change your hearts, 
when you swear in truth and justice and righteousness, that's where you're making the change too. The nations shall bless themselves in him. And in him shall they glory. In him. This, this uh, little verse here, then the nations shall bless themselves in him. And in him they shall glory. That kind of reminds me of John chapter 15, verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. Jesus is telling them that, that the relationship that they will have is in him, and he is in you. So when nations turn, when nations repent, and with a whole heart come to him in truth in justice in righteousness in him will they find fulfillment in him shall they receive blessing and in him they shall glory it's in Christ God gives us this relationship that Jeremiah is talking about in Jesus Christ For thus says the Lord, this is verse 3, chapter 4. For thus says the Lord to men of Judah and Jerusalem, this is talking squarely at the southern kingdom, break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Okay? Before you sow anything, you've got to break up the ground. If you're you're, uh, living in sin, before you start trying to, change your ways and before you try to start saying oh okay i'm gonna have this new relationship you've got to break up the hard ground you've got to break up the 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 the, the sinful behaviors you gotta you gotta put an end to it you gotta deal with it break up your fallow ground and don't sow anything among the thorns you've got a clean house it's not a half-hearted call here You've got to remove those detestable things from my presence. That's what he says in verse 1. And do not waver. Verse 4, circumcise yourself to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts. He's talking about why, why try to change the outside like a circumcision is for the physical. He's saying, I want your hearts. I want, I want a clean Procedure on the inside. O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like a fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. Okay, so now we'll drop down chapter 4, verse 7. We're just hitting the high points here. A lion has gone up from his thicket. A destroyer of nations has set out. He has gone out from his place to make your land a waste. Your cities will be ruins without inhabitants. For this, put on sackcloth. Lament and wail, for the fierce anger of the Lord has not turned back from us. Okay? So, God, through Jeremiah, is telling them, you have not repented. You have not turned from your evil days. And I'm just letting you know that 
there is a new lion on the on the prowl, and he's referring to Babylon, and has gone up from his thicket, and a destroyer of nations has come about, and he's coming. He's coming. We'll drop down to verse 14, chapter 4. O Jerusalem, wash your heart from evil that you may be saved. How long shall your wicked thoughts lodge within you? Down down to verse 18. Your ways and your deeds have brought this upon you. This is your doom, and it is bitter. It has reached your very heart. Okay, and then in verse 19, my anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain. And I believe this is Jeremiah sort of reacting to this prophecy. Oh, the walls of my heart. My heart is beating wildly. I cannot keep silent, for I hear the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Crash follows Hard on crash, the whole land is laid waste. Suddenly my tents are laid waste, my curtains in a moment. How long must I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpets? Verse 22, for my people are foolish. They know me not. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are wise, quote, in doing evil. But how to do good they know not. Verse 27, for thus says the Lord, this is the Lord again, the whole land shall be a desolation, yet I will not make a full end. This is one tiny little glimpse right here that the Lord says it's not going to be a complete desolation because he's going to preserve a small remnant of the nation, like a graft, to be grafted in, to be regrown. He's going to destroy the evil, but there's going to be a little bit left over. This little remnant will survive this coming destruction. Now we'll jump down to chapter 5. Verse 1, Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look and take note. Search your squares to see if you can find a man, one who does justice and seeks truth, that I may pardon her. Verse 2, though they say, as the Lord lives, yet they swear falsely. In other words, they still are saying, oh yeah, as the Lord lives, or at the, you know, they have their little catchphrases to make themselves feel like they are you know, still religious or still depending on the Lord, but it's only just in their mouth, only just talk. It has nothing to do with what their eyes are looking for. It has nothing to do with what's inside their hearts. This is heavy stuff, isn't it? I mean, when you think about today, are your eyes looking for the truth or are your eyes searching for what idols your heart craves? What's your idol today? Are you speaking with your mouth to try to, you know, say the right thing so that people think you're religious or people think you're a good person? And all the while your heart is hard as a rock for the Word of God. 
Yeah, though they say as the Lord lives, when they say that, they're swearing falsely. God says, look, I'm judging those comments because you're, you're swearing falsely because you're saying one thing, but you're living another. <clears throat> Isn't it interesting that God picks up even on that? He knows our hearts. He knows our mouths. He knows our eyes. He knows what we're listening for. He knows us down to that behavior. Oh, Lord, do not your eyes look for truth? You have struck them down, but they felt no anguish. You have consumed them, but they refused to take correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to repent. It's chapter 5, verse 3. Therefore a lion, this is verse 6, Therefore a lion from the forest shall strike them down. A wolf from the desert shall devastate them. A leopard is watching their cities. Everyone who goes out of them shall be torn in pieces. Verse 7, How can I pardon you? Your children have forsaken me and have sworn by those who are no gods. Verse 8, they were well-fed, lusty stallions, each neighing for his neighbor's wife. This is the sin of lust. This is the sin of letting your idols be images of people or certain things that you, you want. Complete um, pagan behavior, lusting behavior. This is what he's dealing with. This is, this is like the sin of, of our present day society as well. Let's drop down to verse 11. For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have been utterly treacherous to me, declares the Lord. They have spoken falsely of the Lord and said, He will do nothing. No disaster will come upon us, nor shall we see sword or famine. In other words, the people were saying, You know what? We're okay. Lord's not going to punish us. We're His people. You know? And to, to the Lord, that is utterly treacherous. Because they, you, you've spoken falsely of the Lord. The Lord can't deal with um, falsehood. These people have completely spoken false to the Lord. And you know what? Pastor Ainsworth said, um, our preacher at our church, said that, you know, he, he mentioned that this is the same false speaking of the Lord Back in Genesis chapter 1, this came out of Satan's mouth, saying to Adam and to Eve, you know, if you eat the apple, as he's talking to Eve, if you eat this fruit, you know, God's not going to punish you. Nothing's going to happen. You're just going to be more like him, and you'll be smart and wise, and you'll know things you don't even know now. The first sin in the Garden of Eden wasn't eating the forbidden fruit. It was the lie. It was the false statements, the lying tongue, the, the speaking falsely of the Lord. That's that same original sin was the sin now Jeremiah is condemning the nation of Israel. Just as the original sin condemned Mankind in Adam and Eve. 
It's the same sin that's condemning the nation of Israel. And I think sometimes when you look at it, it's the same sin that's condemning this generation now. People are saying, you know what? We're okay. God's not going to, you know, mess with us. I'm a good person. Or, you know, I don't really need to go to church. It's too organized. I don't really need the Bible. The Bible is not, you know, relevant today because it was written a long, long time ago by people who didn't have the Internet and cars and we're a lot smarter today. You know, the Bible's kind of outdated. Or I'll just believe parts of it. I like John 3.16, you know, when God loves the world, you know. We don't, we don't worship a mean God. You may worship a mean God, but we don't choose to worship a mean God. You know, this kind of stuff. Or, you know, I don't need religion. I just have science or my education. I don't choose religion. It's the same sin that occurred in Genesis 1. Saying he will do nothing. No disaster will come upon us. But when people say, I'm okay, that's that same Genesis 1 sin. And it's the sin that squarely was condemning the, the generation that Jeremiah was looking at. And it's the same sin that condemns our generation. And we have to sort of look at Jeremiah. And God's told Jeremiah, look, you may not want to have to go out and say these things to people. But you've got to say these things to people. You've got to tell people. You can't just let stuff slide and say nothing. He will do nothing. That's treachery to God. That's treachery to the Lord when you when you have that attitude. So when people have that attitude towards us, we have to tell them, no, that's not what God says, you know. Think about that. Yeah, this verse is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. And I'll just take a little bit of time and go back to verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did God actually say, You shall not eat? Of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. So this is like the original sin. The original first sin in the Garden of Eden, before the woman eats the fruit, it's Satan twisting God's Word. Twisting God's Word and actually lying about God's Word. Speaking falsely of God's Word. And see what a little sin there does to so many people, that little sin condemns a whole generation of people, condemns all of mankind with just a little sin. Maybe this is why we need to get an insight on why God hates lying.
so badly. He hates idols so badly, too, because they tear away our hearts. But look what a little lie does. It not only destroys the life of Adam and Eve, but every one of their children, every one of the offspring of all mankind. Look what God, look what, what has happened. So this is a big deal. Uh, in verse 12, we're back in Jeremiah now, chapter 5, verse 12. And so then God deals with this uh, in verse 14. Therefore, the Lord, uh, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, because you have spoken this word, behold, I am making my words in your mouth a fire. In other words, God's saying, look, because you spoke falsely of me, I'm going to make the words that you spoke a fire. You spoke your own doom. And then back down in verse 18, but even in those days, declares the Lord, I will not make a full end of you. Okay, so he's hinting that he's going to leave a little remnant of people uh, to survive. And then he uh, will drop down to verse 27. Um, like a cage full of birds, their houses are full of deceit. They're full of little chattering birds. There's no uh, truth being spoken. It's just chatter. Therefore, they become great and rich. They have grown fat and sleek. They know no bounds in evil, in deeds of evil. Okay, this is a description, another kind of description of the people there. They've talked about what's in their hearts and the lust in their hearts and the fact that they won't repent and their hearts are stone cold hard against God. And they're saying they've talked about the hearts. Now they've talked about their mouths. Their mouths are just full of falsehood about the Lord and they won't repent, and they will. They now they have said he will do nothing. Nothing's going to happen to us. Okay, so now they're talking. Uh, they've talked about their hearts. He's talked about what's in their mouths, and now he's talking about the way they live. Full of chatter. Some have become great and rich and fat and sleek. They don't even know the bounds of evil. They judge not with justice the cause of the fatherless to make it prosper. They do not defend the rights of the needy. Okay? So he's kind of talking about these wicked men. I'll back up to verse 23-24. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and gone away. They do not say in their hearts, let us fear the Lord our God who gives us the rain in its season, the autumn rain and the spring rain and keeps for us the weeks appointed for the harvest. In other words, this is their heart. This is their nature. And they don't fear the Lord. Okay? So now we'll drop down to verse, uh, chapter 6. 
So in six verse chapter in chapter six verse ten he says, "To whom shall I speak, and give warning that they may hear?" Okay, he's saying, "Look, everybody is condemned. Who do I need to talk to about this?" Behold, their ears are uncircumcised; they cannot li- they cannot listen. You know, they haven't. And we talked about being circumcised in the heart. We're talking about being repented in the heart. Their ears aren't repented. Their eyes aren't repented. Their their eyes aren't looking for truth. Their ears aren't repented. They're not listening. You can talk to them all you want, but they won't listen. And whatever you say is not going to change their hearts. So this powerful picture of what's in their hearts, what their ears want to hear, what their eyes want to look at, it's all um, for naught. Behold, the word of the Lord to them is an object of scorn. They don't even want to listen to it. They take no pleasure in it. The word of God is supposed to give us pleasure and blessing. They take no pleasure in it. They don't love it. The love of God is not in them. Therefore, I am full of the wrath of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. Pour it out upon the children on in the street and upon the gatherings of young men also. Both husband and wife shall be taken, the elderly and the very ages, aged. Their houses shall be turned over to others, their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. It's like no one wants to hear God's word anymore. Verse 13. For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. This is so powerful. McGee was talking about this. Look what a terrible picture this is. And this is like a picture today also. From the least of the people to the greatest of them, everybody's greedy for unjust gain. Everybody wants. Everybody lusts. Everybody's craving for something they don't earn. Whether it's what you're watching on the internet, or whether it's money through stock markets or through investments, everybody wants to get rich quick. Everybody has a... Everybody has some kind of a scheme. Everybody's got an angle. Everybody's, you know, got, uh, everybody wants a bonus or a discount or a special offer or a bargain or a sale. You know, it's, it's every little thing people want to, it's human nature. <laughs> people want to get more than they pay for. And that's not saying, uh, Trying to get a good deal is a is a sin, but that's just the nature of unjust gain and greed and lust. This is sinful nature. Verse fourteen: They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. In other words, there's a wound of sin on in every one of us. All of us sin. And this wound, these folks have tried to heal it lightly. They haven't dealt with it. They haven't tried to clean the wound. 
They haven't tried to properly dress the wound. They haven't, you know, or in our day and age, they haven't properly tried to use an antibiotic or an alcohol or, or something that would properly take care of the wound. They've let it fester. And when you say peace, peace, when there's no peace, when you're saying God will protect us when you're, when you're living in sin, when you're ignoring His ways and words, that's like saying peace when there is no peace. That's like having a wound on your body that you don't even take care of. And back in those days when you had a wound, if you didn't take care of it very carefully, that wound could get infected and you could lose your life. Because you know, back in those days, you had to deal with those type of things properly. It's like having a wound that was taken care of lightly. And when you don't take care of it lightly, it gets infected and the person gets sicker and sicker and dies. It can take their life. And that's the analogy with the nation of Israel. Its wounds were not taken care of properly. The nation can die. Verse 19, chapter 6. Hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster upon this people. So now God's talking to the earth. Because the people won't listen. There's nobody to listen to him. Jeremiah now through God is speaking to the earth. Behold, I am bringing disaster on this people. The fruit of their devices. In other words, the earth is going to be cleansed of this wickedness. This was the promised land. This was the land that was supposed to be holy for the people to be holy. But their sin has desecrated the land. And the people won't listen, so now the Lord is speaking to the land. And as for my law, they have rejected it. And then he says in verse 20, What use to me is frankincense that comes from Sheba, or a sweet cane from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices pleasing to me. You know, why... why why try to put on some frankincense to some beautiful aroma when you're living in sin? Why are you trying to burn some offering? It's not pleasing to me. I want your heart. I want your heart to be for me. So these are people. This is a picture, as McGee points out, as people, and it says, as for my law, they have rejected it. So this is the picture of people rejecting God. They rejected God in their hearts. They've rejected God with their, their eyes. They've rejected God with their ears. And they've rejected God with their own mouths and what has come out of their mouths. So the rejection of God, what do you think happens? Well, God's going to reject them. Let's flip over to chapter 6, now verse 30. What happens when the people reject God? Rejected silver they are called, for the Lord has rejected them. Okay? So when you reject God's holiness, when you completely reject it in your heart, with you, in your ears, with your eyes, with your mouth, with complete rejection of God, God's rejecting them. This is the answer. And, uh, McGee says, you want to get a good picture of what happens when people reject God? Read Matthew chapter 23. 
God will reject them. So when these folks have rejected Jesus, look what he says back to the to the Pharisees. Um, and I'll read just a little bit of it to you. But these were the seven woes to the scribes and the Pharisees who reject Jesus. And what does he do? He completely rejects them. You know? He's, and it is it very consistent with what he said um, earlier back in chapter 4, verse 3. You know, you've got to break up your fallow ground before you try to sow the Word of God there. Don't sow the Word of God among thorns. You've got to break up the ground. And if you, don't, if you don't change your heart, change your ears, change your eyes, change your mouth, change everything to accept God's word above your word, above your idols, above your lust, above all this. It's like trying to sow crops in hardened ground among thorns. You've got to get rid of the thorns and you've got to break up this dry parched ground before you try to put a seed in there. Rejected silver, they're called, for the Lord has rejected them. Silver was supposed to be some precious metal. God rejects all that silver. They try to, you know, throw something at him. He doesn't want the silver. He wants their hearts. They've been placing their faith in what the silver looks like, the shiny metal, as opposed to the Word of God that's far more valuable than silver. So he calls them rejected silver. Jesus, Matthew chapter 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, verse 2, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their... Phylacteries... Broad. Phylactery is kind of like a, um, a little block with scripture on it, and they put it on their hands for them to, like, they're carrying around certain scriptures. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at the feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and then whatever he... and then. And then, and when he, when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, 
blind guides who say if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound to his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on the altar, he's bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God, by him who sits upon it. So he is just nailing them. He's nailing them in their hypocrisy. I could go on, but but it's just a it is just um God rejecting men because they have rejected what he has had to say. Really, really strong, strong words. And I'll drop down to the final verse thirty seven. Uh, o Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered you, have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus is telling them that he rejects them. Because they have rejected him. So this is um, the strong word of the word of God. This is a call to repentance. This is a call to change our ways. And so a lot of times McGee says, sometimes we preach the comfort of God, but we don't preach the powerful call to repentance because God does not tolerate evil in his presence. God does not tolerate people who lie about him, who's saying, you know, we don't need God or we don't need his word or nothing's going to happen to us. <clears throat> Look what happened to the nation of Israel. They were still worshiping. They were still considering themselves, many of them probably, were protected by God. You know, and they were probably still considered themselves God's chosen people. I mean, what people would not want to think of themselves as special or somehow blessed or somehow a good person? You know, they were still thinking they were that, but their sins were condemning them. Their thoughts were condemning them. The things in their hearts were condemning them. What their eyes were looking at was condemning them. What their ears wanted to hear was condemning them. What was coming out of their mouths was condemning them. The, the way they were living their lives was condemning them. The idols that they worship was condemning them. So all of these things were complete, utter rejection of God. And of course, God doesn't tolerate it. So a sober message for us today as Jeremiah delivers this message to the people here as we follow him. So I hope this is... <coughs> insightful, encouraging to you. So now I'll turn the rest of the podcast over to my co-host, Matali in Zambia. Matali, can't wait to hear your take on this. So we'll leave off here today and then we'll take up again our study in Jeremiah on Monday. So have a great weekend for me to all of you. God bless you. I'll see you next time and keep your hearts centered on Christ. Take care.
Hello, so today's teaching is coming from Jeremiah beginning at chapter 3 verse 10 all the way to chapter 6 verse 1 to verse 30. So here we have the second message of Jeremiah about the backsliding um, of nations and it continues uh, from chapter 3 verse 6 all the way to chapter um, 6. So here at verse 10, that's where we begin from of um, Jeremiah chapter 3. And it reads, And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah has not turned to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, says the Lord. So here <clears throat> we have, um, you know, um, the king, King Josiah, was uh, making reforms, um, you know, religious reforms, and he was cleaning out the temples and all. And um, the people were actually turning to God, and they were just doing it on the outside and the surface. And, um, you know, it was all in pretense and not genuine. So they were going to church, and they were going through rituals, but the heart wasn't in it. And this is something that Josiah was attempting to actually produce. So there was reformation. People were actually, like, listening and turning to God, but it was not revival. There was no genuineness of the heart. And today we, we can have reformation and this reformation is there, but without revival, it's not genuine at all. So, um, you know, today you have massive crusades and people attending like um, these crusades and heading out to the, to the pulpit and, you know, the pastor laying hands on them and, you know, they cry and all. And this is just all on the surface and it's not actually genuine. So um, this particular reformation is what prompted Jeremiah to prophesy about the future, you know, that future hope of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was, you know, in the hope that it might bring out um, a, a genuine turn to God. And um, Jeremiah prophesied this, if we go to, if we look at verses 18, 16 to 18 of chapter 3, which actually reads, um, Then um, it shall come to pass when you are multiplied and increase in the land in those days says the lord that they will say no more the ark of the covenant of the lord it shall not come to mind nor shall they remember it nor shall they visit it nor shall it be made any more but that time jerusalem shall be called the throne of the lord and all the nations shall be gathered to it to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem, no more shall they follow the dictates of their evil hearts. In those days, the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel, and they shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I have given as an inheritance to your fathers. So, um, Jeremiah you know, he prophesied about the future, you know, in the hope that, you know, there would actually be that genuine, true revival turned to God. And, um, you know, he was calling out in verse 22, he was calling out um, to uh, the backsliding people. So if, if we go to, to, to verse 22, it reads, return your backsliding children and I will heal your backslidings. So God is a gracious God. He's full of grace and full of mercy. And he was still calling out um, to the people, you know, despite their wicked ways, Judah, despite their wicked ways and their backsliding, if they returned to him, he was still going to um, heal them and accept them back because our God is gracious. So chapter four, of Isaiah, oh, sorry, of Jeremiah, um, there's a response to God to any movement um, on their parts towards him, and he wants to bring them back into 
a right relationship to himself. So verse 1 of chapter 4 reads, If you return, O Israel, says the Lord, return to me, and if you will put away your abominations out of my sight, then you shall not be moved. So God here, this is how gracious God is. So God here, he is telling them, I am not going to move you. Um, you know, I won't remove you from the land if you return to me. You know, this is God with a lot of grace, showing so, so much grace, showing so much grace. And um, verse 2 goes on to read, And you shall swear the Lord lives in truth, in, in judgment, and in righteousness. The nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him they shall glorify. Verse 3, For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and do not sow among thorns. So here, you know, reformation is not good if you sow seed on grounds that's not prepared. So you will not have, you know, proper reformation. It's just going to be on the surface if you turn to God, you know, just on the surface. You know, God, God's expression was cast your pearls amongst swines. You can't cast your, your pearls amongst If you cast your pearls, you know, give, you know put, give a makeover to a pig. It's still a pig. So, you know, sow the seed on good ground. You know, learn God's um, word and sow that seed on good ground and not on thorny ground. So the people of Judah were putting up a front, just going through ceremonies, and there was no genuineness about it. So um, here, God is saying, you know, the prophet Jeremiah, rather, uh, through, you know, God through the prophet Jeremiah is saying, Reformation is not good if you, sow, you, know, if you do not prepare your ground. So the rest of the uh, section here, we have a reminder, um, and this reminder is the impeachment of the people. So God will pronounce a judgment upon them, and there will be uh, a call for them to return to Jehovah, and there will be clear foretelling of judgment. So today, the fallow ground needs to be broken out and not just give messages of comfort. You know, we cannot just go giving messages of comfort. Oh, no, you know, this is fine. You, know, um, you can pray tomorrow. Um, you know, don't just give messages of comfort like, oh, God came for everybody. God taught, taught us to preach love. And oh, Jeremiah's message needs to go out. And, you know, we are in a degenerate nation. And nations actually fall. We're in a degenerate generation. And, you know, some nations like right now, yeah, they are superpowers and all. They discovered the atom bomb. They discovered, you know, you know, all these techie things and all. They discovered, um, you know, so many things. Um, but nations do fall because the nations are degenerate because people have, you know, lost sight of God. Babylon fell and Babylon fell in the night. Alexander the Great fell and, um, you know, and he fell in the night. And that was the crumbling of the Roman Empire. It went down. So there is a moral deterioration and so little is being said about it today, which is just sad. So we are sowing seed on ground that is thorny. So, um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's sad because, you know, the nation is degenerating so much. You know, it starts from our political leaders. There's so much corruption, so much injustice and all. And, you know, no one is saying anything about it. So here in... Um, Chapter 4, the first few verses, God is offering an opportunity for them to go back to him. So if we read verse 4 of chapter 4, it reads, um, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskin of your hearts, you men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Least my fury come forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. So here, <clears throat> you know, they're going through an outward form. So circumcision was a badge that, um, um, you know, they belonged to the nation Israel. So God didn't give it, 
you know, just so that it can be a formal ceremony. The important thing about circumcision, it was, um, you know, was the spiritual side of it. You know, their hearts should turn to God. And that's what God wanted them to do. He wanted them to circumcise their hearts and remove that foreskin. So, um, scripture, if I go, let me just drop down to verse 6. Um, we're just picking out a few high points. Um, so, verse 6 goes on to read, Set up the standard towards Zion. Take refuge, do not delay, for I will bring disaster from the north and great destruction. So here, um, you know, a power, Babylon, will come out um, of the north to destroy them. And this was what God was saying. If you do not turn and circumcise your hearts and turn to God genuinely. So verse 7 goes on to read, The lion has come up from the thicket and the destroyer of nations is on his way. He has gone from he has gone forth from his place to make your land desolate. Your cities will be laid waste without inhabitants. For this, clothe yourselves with sackcloth, lament and wail, for the fierce anger of the Lord has not returned has not turned back from us. So here, you know, the ten tribes of, of the north went into captivity. And he said to Judah, take notes. Take, this is an example. Take note of this. As there is another power from the north, and that's Babylon, that God is rising up and it will come to destroy you. So, you know, the natural man, you know, could not do, could not produce anything. So God speaks of circumcision of the heart because that's the only thing we'll take to God if we just go to God in faith and believe in him. So, you know, people reject God and when people reject God, God will reject them. And this is what people of the people of Judah did. And we can see that in Matthew 23. These Pharisees were going out and putting out a front. And, you know, they wanted the best places in the synagogues, the best places at feasts. You know, they wanted in marketplaces to be greeted and, you know, to be called Rabbi, Rabbi. You know, God was saying, you know, um, you know, when they tell you to do something, like do what they tell you to do, but, you know, don't follow their works because um, these people have rejected God and they've put themselves at this particular higher plane when they're actually not at that particular higher plane. So, you know, when people reject God, he rejects them. And this is what the people of Judah did. And this is what the pe people are actually doing today. They're rejecting God. You know, um, scriptures clearly states, you know, this is wrong and this is right. And people still want to actually say, oh, hey, you know, um, I have my own rights. I'm going to follow this and that. And, you know, which is just sad. So God has election and, you know, you reject him, he will reject you. So God is gracious and he is good and he gives so many chances to us. So if we go to um, chapter 6, verse 19, <clears throat> scripture reads, <clears throat> um, Oh, oh, hear, O oh earth, behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people, the fruit of their thoughts, because, um, of their, because they have not heeded my words, nor my law, but rejected it. So here, um, you know, this is all one message. When people reject the word of God, they reject God, and the follow, the, you know, the thing that follows is God rejects them. You know, today we have like um, um, a lot of nations today um, who are superpowers, are doing very great. And, you know, they've bought friends through allies and all. But, you know, they're not righteous and they're not following God's word. And, you know, they've rejected God and God's going to reject them. And when they reject God, God rejects them. The world rejects them. You know, great nations fell. Babylon fell because they rejected God. God rejected them and other nations rejected them. Um, Israel rejected God. And look what happened. So this is what just happened. So verse 30 of chapter 6 goes on to read, people who, will, 
people will call them rejected silver. And um, in other translations, it's reprobate, so reject. And because the Lord has rejected them. So when people reject God and have made a pretense of following him, the world rejects them. So we are a despised people and we can't pretend to be God-fearing people and then be be hypocritical about it and expect the world to look up upon us. And this is what's happening in different nations today. So um, we'll go back to chapter 4. Uh, verse 22 of Jeremiah, and um, it reads, um, For my people are foolish, they have not known me, they are silly children, and they have no understanding. They are wise to do evil, um, but do not do good, they have no knowledge. So, you know, today, um, people are wise to do evil, very, very wise. They do uh, a lot of evil, and they have no knowledge to do good. Today, you have, like, uh, a lot of, you know, governments are using intellectuals who are very wise, wise like they've studied all these philosophies and all and um you know they write all these concept papers and you know but they're doing evil and they are not big on righteousness if you're big on righteousness everyone frowns upon you and says what is it that person talking about and jeremiah says we pretend to know him and we act all holy but we don't know him at all and you know only the the author of the bible can make the word real for us and that's the spirit of god so, you know, um, you know, God's expression is, uh, you know, God said, um, you know, people today are like fed horses in the morning and every man is neighing for his neighbor's wife. Today, the biggest sin, the greatest sin is sex because it's the new morality and people tend to just say, oh, hey, it's the in thing today. You know, no one can infringe on my rights because, you know, I have this particular type of sexual orientation or it's okay to have sex before marriage or it's okay to live your life in such a particular way because it's the new morality. And, um, and, 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 and it's just sad because scripture has written what is right and what is wrong. Scripture has commanded us to do certain things and not to do certain things. And people are actually neighing for their neighbor's wives. So chapter 5, verse 1 reads, Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. See now and know and seek in her open places if you can find a man, um, if there is anyone who executes judgment, who seeks the truth. So today, if you just walk around, you know, our towns, our cities, in the country, um, is there an honest, righteous man today? It's hard to find an honest, righteous man today. And, you know, today everyone is just living according to their own understanding. And it's just sad. And it's a picture of our contemporary culture today, the new morality. You know, the biggest sin is sex, and that's the new morality. You cannot say anything otherwise, you know, at least you be judged as being old-fashioned and things like that. So, you know, Abraham stopped praying for Sodom and Gomorrah when he was asked for 10 righteous men and he couldn't find any. So God would have saved the city just for one man and he got him out and that was Lot. Because uh, God is gracious like that. So verse 27 of chapter 5 goes on to read. Um, As a cage is full of birds, so their houses are full of deceit. Therefore, they have become great and grown rich. So here, you know, in today's homes, you know, there is just, you know, that there's no spirituality, that moralness. The condition of today's homes is just sad because, you know, everyone has rights. Everyone has liberties. And it's just sad. And this results in children turning into wrong vices. You know, children just, um, you know, children, you know, the young generation are the future leaders. But if they're not groomed right, this is why we have a degenerate, immoral society. Our moral standing has just 
you know, deteriorated, which is just sad. And um, chapter six, um, chapter six looks at the revelation that reformation was on the surface only. So if we go chapter six, verse 14, it reads, um, they have also healed the hurt of my people, slightly saying peace, peace when there is no peace. So people just do things on the surface and says, oh, hey, no, I'm following God because I go to church every Sunday. You know, I volunteer for this and this club. You know, I went to this and this course and all. And, you know, um, but there is no peace. There's just pretense to reform, um, which is just on the surface and not genuine. There's no true revival. Verse 13 of chapter 6, just take you back. Um, it reads, because from the least of them, even the greatest of them, everyone has given to covetousness. And from the prophets, even to the priests, everyone deals falsely. So here today, he points out covetousness, you know, as the greatest sin, you know, as a, one of the biggest sins as well. You know, aside from sex, covetousness is also, you know, a great sin. You know, covetousness, just wanting and wanting and wanting, you know, gold, silver, fame. And, you know, um, the neighbor's wife, neighing for your neighbor's wife. So if we reject God today... The world and God will reject you. So today, let's live righteously and let's not neigh over our neighbor's wife. Let's live righteously and let's live in the path that God actually intended us to live because God is gracious, God is full of grace, and God is full of mercy. And this is what today's teaching is about. Thank you all for listening in. God bless and have a pleasant Friday. Bye-bye.